This is the African Express podcast service. Brought to you from the Northwestern University Library's vocal booth. Coming to you every weekend from the banks of Lake Michigan in Chicago to the Manu River Basin in West Africa. This podcast is sponsored by Northwestern University's program of African Studies. This podcast is about accountability, gender equality, youth empowerment, climate change, and democracy. My name is Tipe Lurata Dube and I'm conducting this interview for the Africanist Press Podcast Service. Today I'm joined by Takama Kube, a young entrepreneur based in the city of Gweru in the Midlands province in Zimbabwe. Taka, I welcome you to this interview on the African Press Podcast Service. Now, Taka, I understand that you're an entrepreneur. Can you tell me more? Can you tell us more about yourself? Um, thank you so much, Tipe. Um, it's a pleasure to join you on this um, interesting podcast. Um, as you've said, I'm Taka, um, short for Takavada. I'm an entrepreneur. More specifically, I do business consulting uh, with specific emphasis uh, on uh, strategy. Um, I essentially help entrepreneurs refine their business models, shape their strategies, and position their businesses for growth. Um, I've realized that most uh, so-called business consultants around the city, uh, focusing on tax consultancy, company registrations, that's abstract from what we're doing. At um, I'm actually running an organization called uh, Weavers Connect. So what our focus is, is as I've said, uh, strategy, business strategy, just to make sure that the businesses we have around um, our cities, around our country, around our continent, are positioned for growth, uh, for long-term growth. Okay. Um, you've indicated, of course, that... Um the specificities of your type of consultancy. But now I would like to just go deeper and ask you, what are the peculiarities of the operating environment of businesses in, for example, on the continent, in Zimbabwe specifically where we are? Okay. Um, Zimbabwe, I like Zimbabwe um, specifically as a case in point when it comes to business because um, we have quite an interesting and unique history, uh, economically, that is. Um, you'll find that um, we've had um, a lot of policy changes uh, that, have, um, that have paved way to significant changes within our economy. Some justified, some uh, not so much. Um, but what you then see is that because of this history that we have as an economy, uh, we have sort of defied the laws of economics uh, so much so that our businesses operate in a way that um, is far removed from how businesses globally in developing economies and developed economies operate and I think uh, that's uh, primarily for me, that was the primary motivation to become a business consultant so that we can try to steer back the ship um, in the direction where it should be heading. Um, we cannot progress without um, understanding and allowing the laws of economics to take their effect. And I think until we get to that point, to that premise where we... Um, accord some sort of respect 
to the laws of economics, um, we won't really achieve the progress and development that we want to see in this country. All right. Um, from what you've just said, I've picked up that you've talked about uh, unique policy changes. Mm-hmm. Can you please, for the benefit of our listeners who might not actually, <laughs> who obviously are not Zimbabwean, mm-hmm. um, but are African, can we? Can you just explain to us what has been what the economic environment in Zimbabwe, say for the past maybe twenty or so years? What what has been how how can you dissect to us like what are the issues that you find that are pertinent that have resulted to you in becoming so heavily invested in you know rolling out your service services in terms of giving strategic um, consultancy. All right, um, thank you for that question. Um, I think um, primary. Um, uh, for me and Rivers Connect, I think um, one of the most pertinent policies that we have seen uh, be affected in this uh, Zimbabwean environment has been the rollout of the land reform program. Um, that's a program that was very well intended, I should say. Um, it had a lot of potential to shift the fortunes of this country, particularly the indigenous black Zimbabwean to empower him and her to make sure that they are the owners, the custodians of the future of this country's uh, wealth. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the implementation of it um, wasn't as perfect as it it could have been. It wasn't the best. I will not dwell into the details of that because um, that uh, may twist our conversation in a political direction. Uh, which I don't intend for it to go. But um, what that essentially did, um, you understand the period from 97, 98, 2000, going into 2001, um, there was a lot of capital outflow, uh, capital flight, uh, as we call it in economics, um, as uh, the people or the Europeans were previously the custodians of the economic wealth of this country flocked out because they were not so impressed with the rollout of the land reform program. Um, what happened in that same instance is that uh, we, did, we had a huge gap um, that was left behind um, in the spaces that uh, those white-owned businesses um, blocked out from, um, but we didn't have an, an, an equal uh, influx of Zimbabweans, uh, black Zimbabweans, walking into, you know, filling those spaces and, um, you know, take ownership and on the economy. Um, the challenge then was twofold. Number one, there was a lack of understanding of our, of the, on the part of the people of the responsibility that we had in building this economy. Um, and on the part of the government, on the part of our leaders, I think there was a lack of communication, uh, sufficient communication to then say, um, look, this is where we are. This is what it implies. Um, we need to take ownership of this project of now building this country going forward. 
Instead, what we then had was um, a focus on politics and on, a focus on um, the negative implications of that, you know, uh, outflow capital flight uh, without, you know, fully addressing um, the important bit of going forward. Um, yeah. Other than that, um, land reform, we have uh, policies such as the Indigenization Economic Empowerment Act. Brilliant policy, I should say. Um, it was meant well. I think uh, in spirit, in letter, it was a good policy. But again, we had the same challenge where there was a lack of understanding from the general public of what its implications were. Um, you hear a lot of uh, misconceptions if you walk around, uh, people talking about government wanting to take 51% ownership of, uh, of company, foreign-owned companies. That wasn't the case. What that policy simply implied, from my understanding, uh, was to say, if there is going to be foreign uh, investors flocking into the country, they should come in as partners to local businesses, to local business people. And the local business people themselves should retain at least 51% ownership of those so-called businesses to ensure that the wealth within this very rich country, you know, stays in the hands of the indigenous black or white or colored Zimbabweans. You understand? Um, there was a lack of understanding of that policy, so we kicked it uh, under the carpet. You know, we kicked it to the cab. And um, fast forward until now, we have seen the long-term effects of our lack of understanding um, of those policies and our lack of responsibility towards this country and this economy um, fast track us to where we are today. Uh, I am glad to say that at least there is now some movement um, on the corrective side in the positive direction where you see uh, entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs taking up space um, in key sectors of the economy, in agriculture, in mining, in manufacturing. But we could be doing more um, if we fully understand the responsibility we have to this country. Um, not to dismiss the fact that there are things that could be done better from a policy standpoint. Uh, there are things that could be done better from a governance standpoint. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the issue of building this economy, building Zimbabwe, the role, the job rests with us, uh, the citizenry. And it is up to us entrepreneurs like you and me, business people like you and me to then spread that message and make sure that we are doing business right and we going to face the challenges that we face while we're practicing business right. Excuse me, I tend to make my responses quite long. No, you know, the longer the better, because <laughs> at least then we understand where you're coming from. And I believe that you literally took the words out of your mouth. I think you touched on a lot of different aspects from land reform to the Indigenization Empowerment Act mm -hmm. and the implications of these policies, which are really about leveraging African ownership of African resources. Because like you said before, when there was a sense of entitlement yeah. by the settler community in terms of the resources mm -hmm. um, that were in Zimbabwe. We'll now be taking a short break. When we're back, Taka and Tipe will be talking about sanctions in Zimbabwe. 
Until then, enjoy The Black Survivors by Bob Marley and the Wailers. a little bit because I think now it's pointing that direction. You've spoken about massive capital flight. We've, mm-hmm. we've spoken about the Indigenization Empowerment Act and from our perspective maybe in the media fraternity we also believe that these misconceptions are actually being fueled yeah. by white or western media mm-hmm. because at the time I understand the at the, the time uh, the late uh, uh, President Robert Mugabe was president, the issue has always been that we are Africans and we own Africa, we live in Africa, and this is our, these are our resources and this is our heritage, so we must leverage ownership. However, with the same stance as we look at the indigenization policy, as we look at uh, issues of land reform, these are policies that shook up the establishment. Mm-hmm. And resultantly, they were sanctions mm-hmm. uh, that were imposed on Zimbabwe, um, depending on which, from which perspective you're coming from. Some will say illegal, some will say they were well deserved because there was a violation of property rights, but specifically white property rights. Mm-hmm. I would love to understand from you, as a young entrepreneur, what has been the impact of sanctions? on the manner in which uh, young people are conducting business within Zimbabwe? Right. Um, the first um, huge uh, effect, uh, the first disastrous consequence of sanctions uh, that you see um, is that there is no capital. Yeah. Uh, you understand that uh, if we rewind 20 years, uh, we had all these uh, big multilateral institutions headquartered here in Zimbabwe. We had multilateral financial institutions with operations here in Zimbabwe. But because of the incidence of sanctions, um, the business of those institutions was literally stifled or you know, uh, blocked out uh, from being affected because most of them were funded out of Europe, out of the Americas, out of China, out of you know the international community. You know, uh, they had their profits; they were getting their profits from Zimbabwe. But the financing part of it, business, is is a function of a lot of factors, and one of the most important is capital. You know, the capital wasn't coming from Zimbabwe; 
the profits were coming from Zimbabwe, but the capital was coming from outside Zimbabwe. And that being uh, when sanctions were imposed, um, literally what then happened was that each and every business that was conducting um, any sort of transaction uh, with the outside world, you know, was barred from doing so as long as it had operations in Zimbabwe. Because let's understand the global financial setup. You know, we have the BIS, Bank of International Settlements, housed in Europe. Literally, London is the financial capital of the world, you know. So if you have sanctions coming out of London, saying any financial institution or any institution whatsoever that conducts business with Zimbabwe is going to be sanctioned, is going to be blacklisted, is going to uh, face uh, uh, drastic uh, consequences, what then happens is that all those businesses will protect their interests and flock out of Zimbabwe. That's precisely what happened. You then hear the misconception that um, no, the sanctions were targeted at individuals. That's nonsense. Uh, res not respect, actually. That's nonsense. No missing words about it. Because um, what you then see in the same respect, the so-called uh, people who the sanctions have been targeted against are living lavishly, you know? Nothing stops them from uh, buying their expensive cars. Nothing stops them from building their, you know, uh, big, beautiful houses. Nothing stops their kids from going to international private schools, you know. But the brand of those sanctions is felt by the general public, by the general Zimbabwean who cannot access um, a business loan, you know, because the bank they are going to has no capital, you know. The brand of that sanction goes to um, the ambitious young entrepreneur in Zimbabwe who's trying to get an investor out of Australia, out of Namibia, out of China, out of Egypt, you know, because the investor is restricted from operating or, you know, associating themselves with any Zimbabwean business. It's a reality, you know. Ask any serious business person uh, who has tried to actually pitch any valuable business proposal or proposition uh, to a serious investor outside uh, the country. They'll tell you there are significant blockages, uh, you know, um, hampering the influx of capital into this country. And that's a huge problem. That's technically, essentially, in spirit and in letter, economic sabotage right there. So when we then talk about uh, how sanctions have impacted um, the Zimbabwean business community, first is capital. Second big uh, thing is access to markets. Because you understand that the makeup of um, the architecture of the Zimbabwean economy pre-1997, um, pre-1980 was such that much of the production that was done locally, you know, was to feed the international markets. We have companies like Cisco Steel, we have companies like Coca-Cola that we headquarters here in Zimbabwe. We had uh, David Whitehead. Most of their production was not focused on the Zimbabwean market, you know. Most of the production of those companies, of those huge companies that were providing a lot, a lot of um, 
labor that we're providing a lot of employment rather um, to our population that we're providing a lot of uh, economic equity to the to this country much of their business was directed outside because that's where their markets were you know the steel manufacturing companies they would export their steel to china they would export to europe they would export to the americas the mines they would export america uh, uk um, and all those countries outside you know but because uh, um, of the incidence of sanctions all those markets were dried out uh, let me just hold you there um taka uh, because my our understanding really from a lot of the research that we've done mm-hmm. um, as an organization is that we've also realized that do we not think that the economic benefit of having these multinational companies headquartered in Zimbabwe has been grossly exaggerated because for example uh, we talk of in terms of exports the this what were flowers that were being exported we know that a lot of the food uh, maize that was produced by white commercial farmers was intended for stock feed a lot of the edible maize that was produced in Zimbabwe was produced by peasant farmers mm-hmm. even you know um pre-independence yeah. that is what research has proven to us so do we not think that this whole talk of economic prosperity under the same status quo that was before independence is really cosmetic and does not have any real meaningful basis except for some sense of stability because it served a certain purpose which wasn't the complete and total empowerment of the indigenous zimbabwean okay um yes and no um i'll say yes it was over exaggerated because part of that focus was then supposed to be directed to a whole different conversation which focuses on the issue i mentioned i touched on earlier of responsibility of us as indigenous zimbabweans our responsibility to this economy our understanding of our history and um you know how we previously used to contribute to the economic welfare of this nation um no in the sense that um we still have to acknowledge that um the multinational uh, multinational institutions that are operating here you know for us to have a stable economic environment we did need you know um that uh, foreign currency coming in we did need the external business coming in uh, from an economic standpoint you understand no country can develop in a vacuum yeah yeah um we have a lot of uh, gaps within our economy that would traditionally not be able to fill alone within a reasonable space of time without trading with uh, other countries technologically that is we have very talented young people here in zimbabwe but um if you to factor in the fact that um the um, translation of technological inst- innovation to real development on the ground is a decades if not century long process the whole prospect of industrialization of an economy you know cannot happen in a vacuum because you need to import those um technologies from abroad you need to import production methods you need to import uh, skills capital from abroad um and that is easier done with multinational institutions that are well positioned to finance those processes that are well positioned to fund all industries 
You understand? Yeah. In the same breath, we would also need to have um, local indigenization, indigenized, um, indigenous rather, Zimbabwean businesses position themselves to then adapt on those technologies that are coming in, adapt on that knowledge that they are sourcing from outside and implement to then have the empowerment of the black person. Yeah? Um, I'll, I'll probably expand more on uh, the aspect of our responsibility as Zimbabweans because that's a part I'm very passionate about that I think every Zimbabwean needs to know and understand. Um, but let me leave this um, before I make. <laughs> okay. Um, and then you've also spoken about, fine, you've spoken about the sanctions and everything else, the impact of it. But I understand that from the perspective of a young entrepreneur, there's a generation of young entrepreneurs who are trying to rise, mm -hmm. who are rising above the challenges. You know, we've spoken about the capital general perception of uh, perception of Zimbabwe because we, we cannot ignore the fact that the sanctions are not just an e economic but it's also a war of sentiment and war of perception against Zimbabweans. In what, in your view, as a person who is within that community of entrepreneurs, what have these young entrepreneurs done to rise above the circumstances to become, because I'm also very, very aware there are a lot of young, very successful young entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe right now who are doing very, very well in this very, very, you know, challenging environment. Thank you for touching on that. Um, I could mention a few names that I've learned, I've come to respect uh, in the business world, uh, but I'll desist from doing that. But um, it's good that you mentioned that because it then brings us back to focus on business, you know. Um, business is a function of value. If you're not producing any value, um, you're, not, you're not a business person. You know, if you're not creating any value, you're not a business person. Um, one of the key distinguishing factors that you see amongst, uh, between rather, um, the business people that you refer to that have uh, risen to the top, that have built amazing businesses. One of the uh, key distinguishing factors um, for them, I think, is um, that they've managed to create organizations that um, have so much value. The markets cannot even more value, yeah? You introduce a product in the market that is um, showing that um, you know it's well thought out, it's well targeted at a specific given market. It's filling a uh, a glaring gap. Mm -hmm. You know, you succeed. You're prone to succeed, and you have to get your business fundamentals right, which is what these business people have done so brilliantly. You understand? Much of what we have um, in the Zimbabwean economy right now um, is that we have so many middlemen, we have so many agents who are trying to um, replicate so-called businesses that are not businesses. Because we have become a consumer-based economy, we have become an economy of retailers that are not producing anything, you know? I always say to my clients, um, if your business depends on another business to exist, you don't have a business, yeah? 
if one policy change can wipe your business off the market, off the grid, you don't have a business. For example, you have an economy that is flooded with the boutiques, you have an economy that is flooded with uh, the so-called runners, you have an economy that is flooded with uh, grocery stores. They're importing, they're buying from established businesses, but they're not producing any value because all it takes is one serious wholesaler and retailer to couple um, to wipe all those businesses out. All your boutiques, if you're to bring your signature brands from South Africa, your Markham, your Mr. Price, your Foshini, your, you name them, you know, into Zimbabwe right now, 90% of these retail outlets uh, would disappear overnight. It doesn't even take, uh, it won't even take a week for them to disappear, you know? You find uh, Pick and Pay, OK, and Nyaningwe, uh, DCK, doing their pricing right, changing a few things. All these so-called dollar retail stores will disappear overnight. So what we are calling entrepreneurs, what we're calling business people are not business people. They're just middlemen that are taking advantage of, I don't know what gap they see, uh, because there isn't really a gap, you know. Uh, they're just taking advantage of an opportunity to profiteer and a gullible public to do so. They're riding on that to make profit without producing any value. Then you have um, the real industrious um, entrepreneurs who are out there producing furniture, uh, doing welding, doing um, manufacturing, of trying to innovate. Young, pe young people who are into farming, who are into agriculture, who are into mining, those are people who are producing real value. Some of them, of course, they lack the skills to then um, grow, which is where we come in, you know, to, uh, to, to then support their businesses to grow. But some are doing very well because they are taking it step by step without being greedy, by the way. Um, one of our biggest challenges as Zimbabweans in business is that we want to get rich quick. There is no such thing. If we're talking about building this economy, we have to be thinking more in, along the lines of generational wealth. Yeah, you're building a company um, as Tipe uh, Dube. You're not looking at uh, becoming a millionaire yourself. The company can be worth millions, but you're not going to be a millionaire if you're serious about business. Yeah, it's your great grandchildren who could be potentially talking about becoming millionaires as the company rises. But we have now an environment that is clogged with people who are saying as soon as, a, as the business or so-called business makes a thousand dollar profit, they're taking it into their pockets and going to buy a Honda Fit. They're taking it into their pockets and going to buy the most expensive designer clothes. For the what? I don't know. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have, uh, which is the distinguishing factor between the business people who are doing great and much of what we have around, which is an eyesore and a pain. Wow. Um, I think maybe in conclusion, let's talk about prospects for the future. Potential. Where all things being, having addressed all the issues that we've spoken on this podcast, where do you see Africa? Where do you see Zimbabwe in the next, in an idyllic situation? Um... Speaking idealistically, um, I would potentially say, um, I would say Zimbabwe has a lot of potential uh, to become a very vibrant economy. 
we've seen the development in countries like Rwanda, Kenya over the uh, recent uh, years. You know that can uh, easily be surpassed by Zimbabwe because we have a country that is um, rich uh, in opportunities and diverse in that same respect. You know, uh, we have the resources, we have the skills, we have the labor. Um, all we're just lacking is the impetus and um, the drive on the part of the public to, you know, to push our economy, to nudge our economy forward. Yes, we need to couple that with a lot of government push, but um, that needs to be sort of um, a combined effort, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it needs to be a better a, a combined effort between all stakeholders within this economy. Zimbabwe has a lot of opportunities. Uh, you you may know that um, I spent uh, the better part of ten years in South Africa, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, economies in Africa. South Africa doesn't have half the cowboy opportunities in Zimbabwe right now for the black person. Yeah, because much of the space in South Africa has already been taken up by uh, white-owned businesses. Much of the development that needs to happen in South Africa has already happened. Much of the industrialization that needs to ha needed to happen in South Africa already happened 20 years ago. Come back to Zimbabwe, we don't have that. That's a whole minefield of opportunities. That's a whole uh, field of opportunities, rather, you know that if we to position ourselves right and take up that initiative as a nation, we could uh, find ourselves on the top of the continental map. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that was Taka Makube, a young entrepreneur based in Gary Midlands, Zimbabwe. I am Tipe Aldue from Zimbabwe, conducting an interview for the Africanist Press Podcast Service. See you on the next one. The Africanist Press Podcast is sponsored by the Northwestern Program of African Studies. You can listen to us for free on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, and other podcast platforms. Help us reach more people by sharing the podcast, telling people about us, and see you next week. <laughs>